team. Scott Park, thank you for leading us in worship today. As you know, the Thailand FAMS team just returned home on Friday. So Troy was up there playing, and we're grateful for Scott and uh, his leadership in leading us in worship this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, this morning we conclude our series uh, through the 23rd Psalm. I hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Uh, as this psalm is certainly one of the most well-known and encouraging passages in all of Scripture, and as we've focused on it with Derek preaching and myself, it's been an encouragement to us as we have really studied deep into the psalm and, and been able to uh, be encouraged along with you as, uh, as we've been in it this summer. So, uh, t- Psalm 23, if you will. I want you to think back to times when you were a, a child. For some of you, I know that's a longer ways to think back, and for some of you, it's not really that far at all. Uh, but remember, you're riding in the back seat, your parents are driving, and you got to pass the time somehow, right? So what do you do? Well, you start imagining, make-believing, pretending that certain cars behind you are following you. You remember those times, right? Uh, you know, it's funny in our household how these things continue from time to time, right? There'll be a blue car there. Oh, that's the same person that was following us last time. They're, they're coming at us. They're going to be there. It was a, just a fun thing to do, fun way to make the time pass. However, some of us have been in countries where it's not really a fun thing. We've been with missionaries who have been tailed, who have been followed. And, and when it's real, it's not a game. It's not a joking matter. Chances are in this room, none of us have truly been tailed. Someone has truly been following us. However, in a very real sense, everyone in this room is being followed. Everyone in this room is being followed. As we look to verse 6 today, the the final verse of Psalm 23, we're going to see that David is expressing his confidence in the forever shepherd because His goodness and His mercy are following Him. That is, God's goodness and God's mercy are following Him. See, everyone is being followed. And for some of us, that's a good thing. But for others of us, and we may not even recognize it, this is a disheartening thing. But based on the track record of the eternally perfect and covenant-keeping God, David is confident, not only in this life, but in the future as well. So will you stand? We're going to read together Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord." forever. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we consider what we've just read, and as we consider this study in the 23rd Psalm, and as we've focused our attention on you 
the shepherd of your people. On you, Jesus, the good shepherd. We're humbled. We're humbled because we recognize that we are wayward sheep. humbled because we recognize that we so desperately need your care and provision, but it's given so freely in Christ Jesus. We're humbled because while there is no reason why you would call us to yourself, when we were lost, you found us, and there's no reason for that, yet you give us 10,000 reasons to bless your name and to praise you. Lord, we remember your goodness. We remember that in the difficult, dark times, you have been faithful. And even now, Lord, as we come to verse 6 in the 23rd Psalm, we pray. We pray that you would give us a great confidence in your continued care and your provision. And that we would find great joy in the fact that you are the shepherd of your sheep. We pray this. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to begin here by looking at the hope of God's presence and promise. The hope of God's presence and promise. The fact that the shepherd is with us. And the fact that the shepherd is who he is. That he has made promises and that every promise given to us in Psalm 23 is based on the character of the shepherd gives us great joy, gives us great hope. Now when we look at verse 6, this is likely the primary reason that Psalm 23 is so often associated with uh, funerals, right? Clearly the hope of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever is comforting. That word house there needs to be understood as presence. Like we're dwelling, we're abiding, we're remaining in the presence of the Lord forever. And what a comforting thought that is, especially when facing death. Now, when we began this study, I mentioned that Psalm 23 is not just a psalm for the dying. It's not just a psalm for the end of life. In fact, primarily, it is a psalm to give us confidence as we live this life. As we go through the difficulties of this life. As we hope in the King of love. The King of glory. It is a psalm that gives us confidence for living life. However, that said, an important part of living life today is having hope for tomorrow. An important part of living life today is having hope for tomorrow. And when I say tomorrow, I just don't mean Tomorrow. And I don't just mean the day after that. I mean eternity. I mean forever. Having hope in what is to come, that our future is secure because the shepherd is in control. See, apart from hope in eternity, this life is cruel. And this life is chaotic. If this life is all there is, then we have every reason for self-pity. We have every reason to lament the the chaos in our life. We have every reason to just be broken down because what we see is that life's not getting better, that injustice isn't getting better. But friends, this is not the end. And there is more than this. Just think about David's life. David was the youngest son of his father, overlooked by everyone, right? Relegated to shepherding the... 
the father's sheep. The prophet Samuel, he comes to town. He's looking for the next king to anoint, following the leadership of God. And he sees the, the sons of Jesse. Well, isn't there another one? Oh, yeah, but that's David. He's the youngest. He's just out there. Well, well bring him here. And he's anointed the future king of Israel. Now, that's a great high, right? But that great high is tempered with great lows. You know, he goes to give some food to his brothers who are at war, who are battling the Philistines, and there's that giant Goliath. Well, David, he gets a lot of favor in Saul's eyes in that moment. Why? Because he slays the giant. He slays Goliath. And then he goes and he plays his harp and he comforts Saul. But it's not long that Saul really becomes jealous of David and ultimately he wants to kill David. So now there's this, there's this one who had been cast off, who had been looked over, and now he's anointed the king of Israel, the future king of Israel, and he's serving there in the king's court, and the current king, Saul, wants to kill him. Many times, uh, spear thrown at him, or trying to kill him, and then he finds himself on the run because Saul's army is out to get him. And friends, even after Saul is dead and gone, his own son Absalom rebels against him. Against his own father. So the king of Israel is on the run again. This time, uh, an attempt on his life by his own son who wants his throne. Friends, can you imagine the pain that David experienced? Can you imagine the shame that he experienced? Knowing that his own family is against him? Kingdom being divided? In fact, if you read through the book of Psalms, and you've all read many of the Psalms, you see a picture in a David's soul. He confesses that at times he feels abandoned by God. He feels alone. He feels broken. He feels angry. He feels scared. He feels anxious. He feels confused. He feels vengeful. And yes, friends, the Lord was with him through all of that. The good shepherd, the shepherd was with him through all of that. And yes, God was building into David character. He was using all of the chaos of his life to shape him into what God wanted him to be. But friends, none of that makes it easy. And you've been there. You've experienced chaos, and you've experienced brokenness, and you've experienced pain, and you've experienced hurt, and you've felt alone before. And guess what? If you're in Christ, the good shepherd is there. God isn't leaving you, and He is intentionally shaping you and making you more like Christ. But friends, that doesn't make it easy. That doesn't make it easy. So the question is, well, how did David get through it? How did, how did David persevere in the midst of a world that was falling apart? How did he get through it? And the answer is God's grace. And it's God's grace in reflecting on the character and the promises of God. Do you ever wonder, David's there hiding in a cave. He's out there all alone. He's out there just trying to get away from the people who want to kill him. Do you wonder how often he reflected back on the covenant that God made with him? You remember after his sin with Bathsheba, this great sin, before his son Absalom is, is rebelling against his own father, God, through the prophet Nathan, graciously made a covenant with him. The Davidic covenant. David wants to build a temple. He wants to build a house, a grand house for God. And, and the prophet says, no, you're not going to do that. And through the prophet, God says, in fact, I'm going to build you a house. 
I'm going to build you a kingdom. One of your sons will sit on the throne of the kingdom forever. And of his rule, there will be no end. And while I'm sure that in the darkness, and I'm sure in the moments of of despair and questioning, maybe David questioned whether or not that promise was going to still hold true. But I'm also certain that he must have repeated that promise over and over again in the difficult times. Now, last week we looked at the fact that God prepares a table before him in the, for us in the, in the presence of our enemies and that he anoints our head with oils and that our cup overflows. And, but friends, it doesn't say the cup is always overflowing. We're always experiencing this overflowing cup. Now, things aren't always perfect. Things aren't always going the way we want them to go. Right? If you've seen the movie Trolls, then it's safe to say that oftentimes our experience in life is more like the character Branch, you know, the ho-hum guy, glass always half-empty kind of guy, rather than the experience of Poppy. Poppy's the one who, she's always happy, she's always high, she's always seeing the bright side of things, right? And, and it's not always sunshine in our pocket. And that feeling deep within us, that electric feeling, yeah, it's electric but sometimes it feels more like the painful electrocution side of electricity, okay? That's what it feels like sometimes, if we're honest, right? It's difficult. It's difficult. Life is difficult. But at the end of the day, friends, it's still about trusting that the same shepherd, the one who leads us through the valley of darkness, is the one who is with us and the one who will never leave us and the one who is always working to lead us on the paths of righteousness, who is restoring us for his name's sake. Now, if I'm confident of anything, I'm confident there are untold number of struggles and fears in this room. Some of the struggles are private. Some of the struggles are public. Some are personal. Some are interpersonal. Some are due to your own sinfulness, right? Your own poor choices. And some of the struggles you might face aren't due to any, you know, reason or any sinfulness of your own necessarily. It just happens because we live in a sinful world. Some of these struggles deal with finances or relationships or family or with with health. But whatever the struggle, it's safe to say that if we focus on the struggle more than on the God who is over the struggle, then the struggle will consume us. So, like David, share your struggles and your burdens with God, but also recall His faithfulness. Right? Rehearsing your pain over and over again in your mind will do you no good. It will only injure you. It will only harm you. Admitting your pain, confessing your pain, can be helpful if you remember that God's grace is most significant. Paul Tripp, in his book Forever, Why You Can't Live Without It, talks about this idea of self-talk. And he writes, No one swindles you more than you do. No one plays games with your reality more than you do. No one deceives you better than you do. No one has told as many lies to you as you have told to yourself. No one has worked as hard and as long to get you to deny what is real and to embrace what is untrue as you have. 
In other words, what he's saying is we do harm to ourselves when we fail to remember that our immediate pain is not the end of the story. We do harm to ourselves and we lose sight of God's presence and we lose sight of God's promises. We injure ourselves. We lose sight of the fact that God is sovereign. And when we lose sight of the fact that God is good. Now, previously in this series, I stated that Psalm 23 is somewhat of a different psalm because though it is a psalm of confidence, it is a psalm of trust, it's not like David is first, you know, pouring out his distressed soul because of his circumstances, and then at the end he's saying, oh, but I trust you, I know you're going to come through. No, the whole psalm is a psalm that says, God, you are, you are good, and, and life lived under you is good. But that said, we know that David faced difficult circumstances in life, extreme circumstances in life. So what David is doing in Psalm 23 is instructional, right? He's focusing on the shepherd, not just on his suffering, not just on his pain. He's focusing on the forever shepherd who gives grace for today and tomorrow and forever. His focus is on the one true and living God. His focus is on the goodness of God. So I want us to look now at the hope of God's goodness and mercy. The hope of God's goodness and mercy. And David writes those familiar words, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, that word surely there is an expression of great confidence. It means certainly, without any doubt. David is confident that God's goodness and mercy are following him. And that word follow there isn't just a casual following after something. You know, you're at the mall and, and your kids are, your kids are well, actually, it's more like you're following your kids who are leading the way to get to where they want to be, right? You're just following after them and they're kind of, that's not what he's talking about. In fact, that word follow could be translated chase after. It could be translated pursue after. It, it could be translated and is, in some instances, persecute. Like you're moving towards something to get there. You have an agenda. You have a purpose. You're not, you're, the, other, the other day I was reading this little forum in our neighborhood and, and someone said they spotted a cougar just down the road um, a few blocks from our house. Now, I don't believe them, right? So I'll just say that clear. I don't, I don't believe them. But they said, I followed, like, we, we saw this cougar. And well, you just think about how a cougar is going to stalk its prey. How a cougar is going to run after, or think of a cheetah, cheetah that runs 70 miles per hour and, and is focused in there on its prey, whatever it's going to eat. doesn't turn to the right or left, it's there, it has a gen, and it's moving in that direction, it wants to get it, and it's pursuing it, it's chasing it. Is it following it? Yes, but it's more than just following it, it's running after it. And friends, that's what David is telling us about God's goodness and God's mercy. God's goodness and mercy are running after us, chasing after us to engage us, to bless us. To show us his kindness and his love. He wants to engage us, friends. He engages his sheep. No matter how difficult things might be. If we are in Christ, we will never experience a moment apart from God's loving kindness. If we are in Christ, we will never experience a moment apart from God's 
loving kindness. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is writing in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Let me just read this to you. In fact, just close your eyes and just try to remove distractions and just listen to what God's word is saying. But then shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, friends, David had a son. And his name is Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah. God became man. He was born in the, in the steps, in the ancestry of, of David. And Jesus is the one who died for your sin. And he's the one who rose again on the third day. And as Paul writes, he's the one who is seated at the right hand of God on the throne of his father David forever. And of his kingdom there is no end. His rule goes on and on. And friends, that's why our future, if we are in Christ, is secure. So when we consider God's goodness, we think of His abundant provision. We think of His protection, His help, His guidance. We think of the fact that God gives us what we do not deserve. God gives us what we do not deserve. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. 10,000 reasons. And we can't even exhaust it, right? And when we consider God's mercy, we're invited to remember that God is a covenant-keeping and a faithful God. That Hebrew word there for mercy is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is hesed. Elsewhere, the word is translated as loving kindness. It is a covenant attribute of God. It is a very word that God used when he gave a covenant to Abraham. When he gave the covenant to Moses, he described himself. He said, I am merciful. I am full of loving kindness. And I am responding to you this way. In fact, that word, the root of that word hesed, means to approach and to bend down or to lean towards. It's really the picture Friends, of a parent who is moving towards a child. Maybe the child is 
hurting somehow, maybe fell down, and the parent makes his or her way to the child and bends down and and embraces and loves and, and moves towards and engages the child. Or if we think about in terms of the sheep and shepherd imagery, it's the shepherd who moves towards the sheep who need to be cared for, who need to be restored. This is our God. This is the God of the universe. And David is saying, this is our God who is merciful, who is moving towards you, who has bent down, who has humbled himself, who has become a man, and who is now living for you, praying for you, engaging you with his goodness and his mercy. Van Gammer and a commentator suggests that Hesed is the covenant commitment of God to bless his people. So mercy, then, is is about withholding judgment. Judgment, by the way, that we do deserve because of our sin. Because of our rebellion against the one true and living God. Mercy is about pardon for sin. It's about forgiveness. It's, It's God's mercy that soothes us. And God's mercy that heals us. Oh, we are so desperate for God's goodness and for God's mercy. And what we can be sure of is this. If we are in Christ, if we have submitted ourselves to the good shepherd, if we have placed our hope and our faith in the one who laid down his life for our sin and then rose again on the third day, then God's mercy, that God's goodness are pursuing us. And the hope is that we will forever dwell in his presence. We'll remain there. Because he's with us. And because we are with him. The concept of dwelling in God's presence brings up uh, images of security and hope and protection. It's being in the midst of a fortress where there is protection on all sides. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we're shielded from all difficulty and pain and trial in life. And it doesn't even mean that there's not other people following us, right? With bad intentions. We know very clearly that God's goodness and mercy are pursuing, are chasing us. But guess what? Scripture also says that the enemies of the cross are following us. Scripture says that the devil is like a roaring lion, ready to, ready to pounce on us. Yeah, there are enemies that are chasing us as well. But if we're in Christ, we're ultimately safe. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. It doesn't mean that, that the things will always feel good or that everything will always go as we think it should. But, friends, it does mean that God is always with us. It means that He is always working things out for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Paul Tripp calls us to embrace this reality and to dwell on the hope of eternity, okay? So previously we said, look, if we're going to get through this life, we have to recognize that um, there's something else out there. Like, what we experience now isn't the end of everything. There is something better coming. But I want us to think about how it works the other way as well. Listen to what Paul Tripp says, writes. I want you to understand that the unshakable promise of future grace of eternity does more than give hope just for the future. Embedded in this promise of a future is the guarantee of grace for what you are facing right here and right now. The God of eternity enters your story in the here and now, or he could not guarantee your future. And that makes all the difference in the world. So this is what he's saying. He's saying the sovereign God of the universe, 
the one who has revealed himself as the shepherd of his sheep, the one who has secured everything in the future, has come to us. And the fact that he's secured our future means that he's secured our present, that he's with us even now. Makes me think of what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, right? Verse 6, I'm confident of this. That he who began the work in me will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Our future is secure. And because our future is secure, we can trust that he is working in our lives right now. And because, our, because right now is not the end, we can have hope because we have a future. Like the, the difficulty that we face right now isn't ultimately defining us. Now God is using it in our lives purposefully, redemptively. But this isn't what ultimately defines us. The chaos of this world is not what ultimately defines us. What defines us is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And what is to come, what is our hope. So, none of this means that we should deny the reality of the pain that we're experiencing right now. But friends, if we're honest, our tendency all too often is to focus on the immediate pain and forsake the ultimate reality, right? But we have to remember that God is at work. That He's promised a future. That He is bigger than the pain that we are experiencing. That He is present with us. That we are not alone. That His grace is sufficient. That His grace is enough for whatever the outcome is. Life or death, friends, He will accomplish His ultimate purpose of bringing His sheep to Himself. Now, While this is true of all those who are in Christ, those who have put their hope and their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God's word tells us that something much more sinister is chasing after those who are in rebellion against God. Those who are apart from faith in Christ. Biblically speaking, death and destruction serve as an antithesis to goodness and mercy. So, goodness and mercy on one side, death and destruction on the other side. And the Bible labels all those who are apart from faith in Christ, who are in rebellion against God, as wicked. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 15. Speaking of the wicked, those who are in rebellion against God, those who are devising evil, the author suggests that calamity which is following them, will overtake them. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 7, those who seek evil, evil which is following, will find him. In Philippians chapter 3 and verses 18 and 19, Paul asserts that the end is destruction for those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The end is destruction. See, repeatedly in Scripture, we read of the ultimate destruction that comes upon those who are living in sinful rebellion against the one true and living God. If the end for those who are in Christ is security and hope and dwelling in the presence of God forever, the end for those who are uh, apart from Christ is destruction. It's suffering eternally. Living in a house of cards that will soon be demolished. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 25 states that when the whirlwind passes, the wicked man is no more. 
There is no ultimate satisfaction or peace or hope or life apart from the sheepfold of the good shepherd. Now in this room, there are many who are trusting in Christ. There are many who have placed their hope and their confidence in their faith in Jesus Christ. But there are also some who are far from Christ, still living in rebellion against God, still depending on your own righteousness or your own good works or maybe not even caring about it all anyway. You're just here today because you said you'd come with someone or maybe it's a habit or whatever else, but you still have not repented of sin and placed your hope in Jesus Christ. Friends, believe the word of God. You might even be telling yourself, look, my life is great. I have a lot of stuff. I mean, things to be prospering. Job is good. Family's fine. Everything seems great in my life. What do you mean destruction and death are following me? Friends, believe the word of God. Apart from the good shepherd, there is only eternal pain. Whatever prosperity you're experiencing right now will vanish. It will not last. Jesus says, why gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? This life is not all there is. And so what if you have everything in this life? Apart from Christ, it all goes away and it's replaced with death and destruction forever. So confess your sin. Admit your need for a Savior. Admit your need for Jesus. The shepherd who died and rose again to give you life. Now as we transition to a time of worship and invitation, if you have questions about what it means to follow the shepherd, if you have questions about what it means to be forgiven of sin, to trust in Jesus, then please come and talk to us or make it known to us and we'll catch you after the service, however you want to do that. If you have questions about membership in this church or you just want to come and pray or you want someone to pray with you or you have another question, we are available If you're ready to tell the church that you trust in Christ and you want to be baptized, then praise God. Praise God for that. For many of us, during this time, what we will be doing is praising and worshiping the great God who loved us and who gave his life for us and who lives today and intercedes for us and who has secured our future. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to stand and respond in singing. Let's pray together. Great God in heaven, thank you for your mercy and for your goodness, which for those who are in Christ is pursuing us and engaging us. Oh God, we pray that your people would respond to you today. And not just today, but would be living for your glory. And we pray, God, that There would be some in this room, even today, who are hearing the shepherd's call and would respond in faith and repentance. We pray, God, that you would be gracious to us. Whatever we experience, help us to look to you and trust you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand and sing.